Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table. We discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Daryl Bach, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. And today our topic is another one of our global perspectives. And so the country that we're zeroing in on is the Philippines. And Neil Tai is our guest. Neil uh, graduated from Dallas. How long ago was it that you graduated, Neil? Um, I graduated twice, actually, from uh, DPS. Uh, the second time around was uh, 2019 of May. I finished PhD in New Testament Studies. Okay. And currently, you're doing what? You're teaching. Where are you teaching at? Um, I am an adjunct faculty of several seminaries, mm-hmm. uh, one of which is uh, International Graduate School of Leadership here in Metro Manila. Another seminary I help teach is uh, uh, Asia Graduate School of Theology, and uh, it's a consortium of uh, various seminaries here, which I- I'm teaching currently one subject uh, this semester, and uh Another seminary I help teach is uh, in Nepal, the Malayan Graduate School of Theology. And uh, these are several seminaries I help teach. But I'm at a full-time, pa- uh, full-time faculty of any seminary here. I uh, am involved with a Bible study organization to provide Bible study resources among churches and pastors here in the Philippines. And, and what's that organization? What is it called? Uh, the name of the organization is Chinese Christian Fellowship International. Mm-hmm. It originated in uh, Dallas, Texas. Uh, it has its uh, headquarters in Plano, Texas. It initially uh, wanted to bring Bible study resources among Chinese people all over the world. And they eventually uh, uh, branched out and uh, wanted to reach all nations everywhere uh, because they could not change their original name in uh, registered under SEC. So they continued on with CCF International. And so we provide uh, um, Bible study resources in local dialects. We have uh, translations into Tagalog, and in, I oversee certain uh, Asian ministries, some Asian translators. Okay. So um, uh, so how long have you been in the Philippines? Uh, this has been my s- second year, July um, eight we um, of 2019 we traveled back to the Philippines and last July is our second year back in the Philippines. Okay, so you said back in the Philippines. So if you were did you grow up in the Philippines or 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 yes, no. Okay, I was born in the Philippines and I grew up uh, and uh, spent my entire life here in the Philippines, except for the ten years duration I was in Dallas Seminary. <laughs> when you're in the black hole of your seminary education, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, so that's interesting. Uh, you know, the the one thing I know about I've never been to the Philippines, but the one thing I know about the Philippines is is that um, it's car traffic is legendary for its um how can i say this for its crowded uh conditions um and etc and i've i've joked with people sometimes asking so has has covid changed the traffic patterns at all um you know what Uh, during the first lockdown it is uh, very interesting it's like a ghost town when you come out when i come out to uh, purchase some groceries it's like 
what's going on? It's like nobody's in the streets. A few cars and a few people in the streets. Like everybody's so scared to come out. And uh, it was a good traffic condition. I mean, it's flowing smoothly. Um, except that right now it has come back to its previous state. Except that there's no uh, school going on, so the traffic level is much better than before. But it's still traffic. So you're in a second lockdown right now, right? How uh, technically this is the third lockdown since March of 2020. I see. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about the Philippines and the Christian Church in the Philippines. Tell us a little bit about the country. Um, uh, first simple question is, um, how, what's the population of the Philippines? Do you know? And generally, I mean, uh, not yeah. down to the person, but I mean, how large currently, is the Philippines? Currently, there's about almost about 110 million people. So close to about 100 to 110 million people all over the Philippines. And, and the size of the Philippines is what? I think I heard you allude to that earlier when we were talking before we started filming. Yes, when I look at the United States, the size of the entire Philippines is just equivalent to uh, the state of Arizona. Hmm. So that's a lot of people in a small space. That's very true. That's yeah. very true. Uh, thus, thus, when traffic is flowing normally in Manila, it doesn't flow because there's just so many people on the streets. That's very true. Yeah. Actually, I was so surprised when I was in, in Dallas. When I look outside the streets, it's like I, I seldom see people walking or I see a lot of cars, but you know, only few cars really compared to the Philippines. But here's like sea of people. The moment you come out of the streets, like sea of people, tons and tons of people walking all throughout the day. Wow. Okay. So how many languages are there in the country? Well, we have one uh, major uh, dialect called Tagalog, and every region has their own uh, um, language or uh, dialect that they speak of. I don't know exactly how many, maybe 60 to 70. I, I, mm. I don't have the exact figure, but we have a lot over here. Okay. So, But, but it's not like the situation, say, in India, where they actually have once you get past English, uh, an, an array of languages, and depending on what region you're in, that's the language that's spoken? Well, um, there there is a majority uh, language called uh, um, Cebuano or Bisaya. Uh, Philippines is uh, divided into three major uh, regions, Luzon or North uh, Philippines. Central is Visayas, and Mindanao is the Southern Philippines. The Visayan or Cebuano dialect has been spoken by majority of the people here in the Philippines, even if it's not the technically the national language. Um, yet uh, there are still pockets of you know how it's spoken, in, uh, in even in Visayas itself, it has different other other uh, um, dialects spoken, and so it's like it's hard to tell. You know, when you cross, there was a time when. When uh, English was the major medium of instruction in the Philippines, uh, one of the presidents changed it to Tagalog. So everything was dubbed into Tagalog. We used to watch uh, movies in English on television. And when they uh, uh, made Tagalog to be the national dialect, they had to dub all the, the American uh, movies into Tagalog. Hmm. So technically, everybody in the Philippines can understand uh, Tagalog because of this um, um, you know, the, the television, the movies, um, but 
on their heart language, they have their own way of communication. So you uh, you grew up in the Philippines. So how many languages do you have facility with as a result? Yes. Um, well, my gra- great-grandfather from both sides of the family migrated from China to the Philippines. And the uh, majority of the Chinese migrants in the Philippines speak uh, a dialect called uh, Hokkien or Fujianhua. Uh, so it, it's, it's a Hokkien language. It's not Mandarin. Uh, it's different from, uh, you know, Cantonese is predominantly spoken in, in Hong Kong. Uh, but the uh, majority of this, uh, uh, the older generation Taiwanese, they also speak a little Hokkien in Singapore. Older generation, the, the ones that move out of China during that time speak Hokkien. And here in the Philippines, majority of the uh, Filipino Chinese, um, they, they speak Hokkien. So growing up, I hear Hokkien a lot at home with my grandparents, with my parents. And I attend a Christian church that uh, speaks Hokkien as well uh, in their main preaching. And that's one language I grew up in. The second is Tagalog because I grew up in Metro Manila and uh, every household has a helper who cares for kids like me. And uh, the, the helpers, they, they speak to us in the in the uh, local dialect of Tagalog. So I grew up uh, hearing Tagalog a lot. And I said, that's that has been my, my uh, um, you know, side street language. And in school, I grew up predominantly learning English as well. So I had to mix, you know, I grew up so in three languages. Basically, three languages is what we're talking about. That's yeah, true. interesting. Uh, well, and the reason I go through these questions at the start is I want people to understand that. Um, that there is, um, there are cultural and linguistic issues in each country that impact um, how quickly people can communicate and that kind of thing. Um, so uh, let me ask you one other question: uh, the religious makeup of the Philippines. What what's kind of the demographics of that? Yeah, because of four hundred uh, years of under Spanish rule in the Philippines. Uh, predominantly, a uh, majority of the countrymen are, are Roman Catholics, about 90% or so. Uh, but a lot of them are nominal Catholics, I would say. And uh, there are uh, the southern Philippines is uh, closer to Indonesia. And uh, a lot of these Muslims are in the southernmost of the Philippines, make up about 3% of, uh, um, and Christians, uh, or uh, there are Protestants. Uh, biblical Christianity started when Americans took over in 1898, and uh, Christian Christianity has grown, and about 6 to 7% of the population are uh, considered to be evangelical Christians. So, so significant Roman Catholic presence, uh, uh, and then the Protestant Christians are about twice the number of the Muslims. Is that is that about right? Because that's very different than Indonesia. Indonesia is, has a very significant Muslim pop- population in comparison. Is that right? That's true. That's very true. Yeah. So um, – so let's talk about the state of the church in, in the Philippines, and I kind of want to talk about it in two ways. One is um, just in general, 
And second is the impact of, of what COVID has meant for churches and kind of where the churches stand as a result. Um, because um, one of the interesting features in doing these, of course, is understanding um, really the differing impact that COVID has had on churches compared to the way it, uh, its impact, say, here in the United States. So let's talk generally first. Um, You've said that there's a significant Roman Catholic presence and that there's about 6% um, Protestant, which I'm taking to be Protestant evangelical primarily, um, and, and then a 3% uh, uh, Muslim. So that when you say predominantly Roman Catholic, you mean very, very, very Roman Catholic. Um, I think I said, did you say 90% of the population would self-identify as connected to the Roman Catholic Church? Somehow about uh, 90% or maybe 80, 87, something like that. But uh, I think predominantly, uh, you know, we could, you could see Catholic churches everywhere, all over the Philippines, uh, especially here in Metro Manila. I would see it everywhere in uh, many localities, or we call it barangays, have their own uh, Catholic church. And uh, patron saints are named after even the, the, the barangay or the town that it's called. And so it's like fiesta is a natural thing here, and everybody celebrates a feast of a saint, and uh, every, it's 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 a it's a regular uh, celebration here all over the country. So there is an element of shared culture there, and I'm assuming by what you've said about the the way in which people adhere to the faith that they identify with, that there's a lot of, for lack of a better description, nominalism, and 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 that the culture is. Um, culturally Christian as opposed to biblically Christian, if I can say it that way. Is that fair? Yes, yes, that's very true because uh, you know that the Philippines, even if it's the only Christian nation in Asia, it's one of the most corrupt countries in Asia as well, Hmm. or maybe second most, or in fact the number one corrupt country in Asia. So it's like uh, what people believe here on a Sunday – is different from the way they live out their lives on a weekday basis. So um, I remember walking the streets carrying my backpack, and I and uh, you know for some time somebody would just try to slip, you know, a knife and get something out of my backpack if I'm not careful. So you'd see a lot of people put their backpacks in front rather than at the back hmm. because they they have to be careful because there are people who would. Uh, uh, because of poverty and because even if predominantly are Christians in some sense, but uh, they don't live it out in some sense on a, on, a, on a day-to-day basis. They have to survive. So, um, yeah. And how much, how much power does the, um, does the Roman Catholic Church um, exercise in the Philippines in larger culture, or is, or is the culture kind of, um, for lack of a better description, more secular? Well, uh, generally Filipinos are very uh, religious in terms of uh, their devotion. Uh, they go to church, they attend mass, and they um, they have this uh, kind of you know um, reverence whenever they go to church. And so it's like um, whenever there is this uh, Holy Week period, uh, you will see people you know try to do penance, and some are even you know putting themselves on the cross to be crucified once again. And this is in, in you know, in, in, uh, um, in fact, in 
you know, because all throughout the year they've been sinning against God. They recognize that. So it's like they try to make it up by doing some penance. So uh, in, in actuality, that's the kind of life they live. It's like they, they know they can sin and they can just confess and they can just make it up later on in life. Hmm. So it's um, is it an honor-shame culture like much of Asia or is there uh, a different element in play in the Philippines? Well, that's a, that's a tricky question here because, you know, uh, we have several presidents caught in corruption and got uh, imprisoned and they just come out and of the prison and run for office once again and forgetting the past and thinking that the people will forget what they've done. So there is not much shame in terms of uh, what people uh, consider to be sinful um, and uh, for them, it's like, you know, if, if they can enrich themselves in power or in office, then uh, they're just thinking of, of themselves in some sense. So materialistic in some sense of culture, they don't have that much uh, uh, aim for honor. Well, what they want more is materialism. Interesting. Um, so let's turn our attention now to the Protestant church. And uh, obviously, this is the circle that you're operating in, the evangelical and Protestant church. Um, so um, you, I think you've intimated that uh, the presence of Protestantism was a reflection of the presence of uh, American late 19th century, and that, and then I'm assuming there was a lot of missionary activity in the Philippines that generated this. Are there certain parts of the country where Protestantism is more prominent? And I ask because, again, I'm thinking about India as an analogy. Um, you know, in India, it's the southern part of India that really is the most Christian part of that country, and so, um, so. Help us with the with kind of the distribution of Protestants in the Philippines. Well, as far as I remember, or as far as I know, uh, when American missionaries came, they divided themselves all over the Philippines. They spread all over the Philippines, um, and I think, in some sense, uh, there is no one location that we could say that's primarily evangelical Christians. And there are uh, there is a church planting. Uh, uh, explosion in the Philippines uh, sometime in the 1990s. And at the time, the churches are just about 25,000 uh, churches all over the Philippines, and they want to establish a church in every barangay. A barangay is like a town or a county. And, and so it's like uh, that the goal is uh, to have 50,000 churches by the turn of the century. There, there was this um, disciple of whole nation or dawn 2000 movement that uh, encourages every church to go plant a church uh, everywhere all over the Philippines. And it was like a, a, a uh, almost an impossible goal to achieve because thinking that for from 1898 all the way to 1990, just 20,000, 25,000 churches, how can you do that in 10 years? But at the end of 2000, we, we reached 51,000 churches. Hmm. And expanded all the more to 70,000 churches. It continues to do this, this explosion, I think, before even before this uh, pandemic happened. So uh, they're scattered everywhere. Churches have been scattered all over the Philippines. Um, that's how I would say. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. 
You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. And how well-trained is the, are the leadership of those churches or, and or um, are there pastors who lead several churches at once, you know, like used to happen here? That's very true. Well, predominantly of the pastors in the Philippines are untrained. Uh, there are several seminaries, and think about it, uh, 25,000 churches just exploded, 50,000 churches um, seminaries are not able to provide all the adequate training uh, that the explosion happened here of churches. So um, generally, a congregation, a church planter, uh, is someone who has a heart's desire to follow the Lord, even if he does not know much about Scripture, he has a heart's desire to follow the Lord. So he steps out in faith and uh, plants a church in midst of uh, difficulties of uh, financial constraint. And so he, uh, we could see this happening all over the Philippines. And so there is a lack of training, lack of trained pastors. And, and are many of the pastors bivocational? In other words, they work a job and lead a church, or are they exclusively connected to the church, or does that depend? Yes, I think it depends on the locality or location that you're in. Uh, I remember uh, traveling to uh, – uh, Central Philippines way back in 2019 before the pandemic, and I conducted a Bible exposition conference. It's a one full day, how to study the Bible, how to teach the Bible, and how to preach the Bible. And uh, we had several who traveled, even by boat, the night before. And I spoke to some of the delegates, and I said that, uh, uh, you know, what are you doing? Uh, you're a pastor, but uh, is that your main profession? And some of them said I had to take a leave. I, I'm also teaching in a local school, I took a leave so that I can come here. Uh, they traveled the night before, they reached there 4 a.m. We had about uh, eight to five kind of uh, conference. And so they had to rush back and uh, ride the boat back to their hometown that night. So I could see a lot of bivocational uh, pastors um, because the ministry cannot sustain them. Yes, sure. Uh, I didn't ask you this, and I probably should have earlier. Um, what when you think Protestants? Uh, is there a denominational background? What's the what would be the division among the various denominations in, in the Philippines? I'm assuming that there is some variation. Yeah, there are Baptists. There are uh, uh, full Gospels. There are uh, various kinds of. There are a lot of independent. Uh, I would say, in Different kinds of denominations that you could think of are can be found here in the Philippines. Are there any dominant 
denominations in the country, or is it pretty spread across, you know, a lot of variation? There are large denominations, like different Baptist groups. There are, um, you know, uh, there's an Episcopal group here, but uh, I don't have the figure of which is the largest denomination in the Philippines, but a lot of the church planters are independent in some sense. Okay, so let's talk about education here. Uh, uh, you said you work for – it's interesting that you work for a consortium of schools that kind of look to sound like they've banded together in order to, to cover the task. Uh, how large are these schools? And Because uh, I'm, I'm hearing 50,000 churches. That's, <laughs> that theoretically would be a lot of pastors who need training, and yet I'm assuming that the number that actually get trained is a very small percentage of that total. That's very true. Um, well, Asia Graduate School of Theology is a consortium of various seminaries so that they could offer uh, PHM and PhD uh, programs for uh, the majority of the seminaries only provide Master of Divinity level kind of education here. And in the in Metro Manila itself, there is a, there are three major seminaries, uh, Asian Theological Seminary, uh, International Graduate School of Leadership, and Alliance uh, Biblical Seminary, Alliance Graduate School of uh, uh, Theology, is it? Something like that. And each of the seminaries have about maybe uh, maximum of about 500 uh, student population. So yearly they have about uh, close to 100 that graduates their seminary. Um, and, and so these are the, the, the larger ones. Um, I'm not speaking about many other seminaries uh, down south. They have, they're, they're scattered all over the country as well, but uh, in the major cities only. Hmm. So this is a very obviously a very small percentage of the total. Um, local congregations. Um, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about uh, about about that. They. Um, I'm. I'm as, again assuming. Well, let me ask you this question: Are there mega churches in the Philippines? Yes, there are mega churches in the Philippines. Uh, there are. Um, there was a movement of a growth among uh, several churches. Uh, when one of our graduates from Dallas Seminary came to pastor a church here, uh, Green Hills Christian Fellowship became a mega church in uh, way back in the 1990s, and uh, it spread all over the country. They have uh, branches all over. It's uh, generally Baptist in this denomination, and another uh, mega church that uh, uh, that grew is the Victory Christian uh, Fellowship, and uh, it's it's more full gospel, more um, Pentecostal in its, uh, um, they have planted all over the Philippines as well. And another um, uh, the mega church that came up uh, uh, fairly recently in 2000s is the Christ Commission Fellowship. And they have Christ Commission Fellowship centers all over the Philippines and even in other parts of the world where there are Filipinos. So um, within the Protestant grouping, which you said is about 6% of the population. Can you give us an estimate of how much of that is charismatic versus non-charismatic? What's the breakdown there? Um, to be honest, I don't have that figure, but I would say that there are four gospel denominations. Uh, the Victory Christian Fellowship has grown uh, leaps and bounds as well. Uh, the uh, Christ Commission Fellowship is more conservative, 
but it's more independent and uh, headed by an um, an elder of a of a church. Uh, and uh, he initially started among business people. So the business people are lay people. It's a lay movement that uh, it's more evangelical and more conservative in its background uh, with some campus crusade uh, um, philosophy ingrained in that church. So they have multiplied leaps and bounds as a result of this discipleship movement uh, that has uh, inspired. But uh, generally, these are the three large churches in the Philippines and more have come up, I guess, since I came back. I don't have uh, the names of those churches and I don't have exact figure of which, which is uh, how large are the uh, each uh, denomination. Okay, so uh, so let's talk about um, the impact of COVID. One of the things that often gets discussed when you talk about COVID in in countries that have that are spread out, um, you know, like India, like Indonesia, like the Philippines, with a large population. And the the lack of resources that people have to be connected digitally because it gets expensive. Um, uh, you know, you you pay for your data use in a lot of countries, not just to have you know, not just to have a, a an account, if I can say it that way, from month to month. And so, the ability of churches to connect with people digitally, which I'm assuming on a lockdown is what a church requires. Um, Means that they really are cut off from a lot of the people in their in, in their churches um, because they can't people can't afford to be connected. They can't pay the price of being online, if I can say it that way. Is that a predominant problem in the Philippines? And what other problems and issues does the church face there? That's very true. Well, Filipinos love to uh, get engaged in uh, social media. So, so there are certain companies that offers you know you could you could have access to Facebook or YouTube uh, when you uh, when you uh, subscribe to certain kinds of plan and some prepaid even can provide you some access to social media and so um, I think Philippines is one of the number one social media uh, connection in spite of the poverty. Hmm. Uh, however, in terms of uh, churches posting their online stuff. Uh, still, there's still many, especially the uh, older generation. The younger generation keep in touch. They prioritize to, to get themselves connected, social media. But the older ones, uh, those who are not aware of how to, how to even have a smartphone or a tablet, uh, they are the ones who suffer the most. And so it's like uh, many of them don't have internet access. Uh, to give one example, my mom, uh, she doesn't have internet at home. She doesn't want to pay extra. So she uh, she, she's, she just uses a cell phone to call and she, she uses the television to watch every day, but she doesn't have access to, to social media. So my dad is more, uh, you know, involved with social media than my mom. So if she needs to go to church, then my, my dad would just turn on uh, her his, his phone data so that they can watch a church service together. So so churches that are trying to connect are doing so, as, as happened here, um, by broadcasting their services and that kind of thing. But the ability to gather, the ability to pastor, 
significantly, that kind of thing, has become very limited in the context of COVID, correct? That's very true. And the government has uh, made some restrictions, like during this lockdown um, here in Metro Manila, no religious gathering at all. And there was a time when uh, we, we, our classification went to general community quarantine with some restrictions where uh, at least about 30% of uh, capacity are allowed. But, uh, um, but it's, it's more of like difficult for, for churches uh, that can't bring everyone in it because uh, kids are not allowed to even join the religious gatherings. Seniors or older people are not even allowed. Uh, so it's like, it's just uh, families are just, you know, uh, torn between shall I stay with my kids or go to church? So most of them just stay at home and uh, uh, depends on the churches. Some churches uh, continue still to meet, uh, take a risk to, to just uh, meet, but uh, majority are, are just uh, staying at home. So there's and, real isolation and the ability to for the church to function has been hampered significantly by COVID. That's very true. Yeah. Okay. One la- one last question here. Um, uh, but, but set COVID aside, uh, what what other aspects of the religious environment represent challenges for the church in the Philippines? What would you say the church struggles with? Um, and and even in even in the pre-COVID environment, when it was functioning, when churches were functioning more normally. I think uh, the even before the pandemic happened, I think the biggest challenge of uh, churches is somehow uh, to break uh, the religious mindset of the people to go and share the gospel. Uh, here in the Philippines, it's easy to share the gospel. Everybody believes in Jesus, especially uh, Roman Catholics. Ninety percent talk to them about Jesus, about the Bible. Uh, they don't have anything against Jesus or the Bible, uh, but the moment they trust in Christ and uh, you encourage them to be baptized, um, they would say, oh, I'm sorry that uh, I cannot continue on from here. I can just believe in Jesus, but I, I would not uh, dare step in the church because uh, in, in a non-Catholic church setting, uh, entering into a non-Catholic church setting is a sin against my religion. And, and I grew up in this kind of environment. Mm. So um, I, 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 I would not... Uh, break with my family ties. So that's the biggest challenge that, uh, you know, uh, Filipinos, Philippine churches face. Uh, I think the younger ones are the ones that are easily reached because they are more open to new things. And so this uh, growth of the movement has been uh, primarily targeted among the young ones. And the older ones are the ones that are suffering the most in terms of penetrating into uh, reaching the gospel for them. Hmm. Interesting. Well, uh, Neil, I want to thank you for giving us your time and kind of giving us a glimpse of the Philippines, and, and, and glimpse is probably the right word, um, and uh, uh, much appreciated uh, your willingness to, to share a little bit about what's going on in, in the Philippines. One last question is, uh, if people want to pray for the Philippines, what would you uh, encourage them to do? Yes, I think uh, one of the prayers that we need to pray for the Philippines is, uh, you know, people are afraid. Churches are afraid. Christians are afraid. And so it's like um, this Delta virus, this Delta variant is just spreading like crazy here in the Philippines. 
And so people are afraid of their lives and more so it's like uh, they don't go out anymore. So how can a Christian live out as a Christian in this kind of environment? Mm. Um, this is a real threat to their lives. So it's like how, pray that uh, you know God will take away the fear and that there will be still boldness among uh, Christians to take up and step out in faith in midst of this difficult setting or difficult scenario. Hmm. Well, thank you again, Neil, for taking the time to be with us. We really do appreciate the glimpse that you've given us of the Philippines. And I want to thank you for joining us on the table today. Please do subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. Leave us an honest review. Uh, This helps people to discover uh, who we are in these conversations. We hope you'll join us next time on the table where we discuss issues of God and culture. For listening to the Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth, love well.